Good morning, everyone. I didn't even have to tell you to sit down. You just guys, you just knew. You knew the drill. Good job. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 11 to 17 today. All right, kiddos. I know some of you are out there. Are you ready for a question? Okay. Thank you. How many of you have fallen asleep in the car? Okay. <laughs> so I remember having long road trips, you know, doing errands with mom, or maybe I just did something like active like a soccer game and, and then the drive home. And there's just something about those times in the car where you just, it's just easy to fall asleep and just kind of tucker out. You know, you got your bobbing head and all that fun stuff. And, and then, bam! You find yourself parked at the house, and your parents are trying to wake you up. Come on, it's time to get out. Like, we're home. What? What's going on? May- Adults, maybe you've had this happen. Like, you, you, uh, you lay down after an exhausting day at, after work or just a long day, and you're fully planning on doing something. Maybe it's reading a book or a project or getting in the Word or watching a movie. And then all of a sudden you just find yourself awake the next morning. And you're like, wait, what, what just happened? I was asleep. It's been 12 hours. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, you just didn't even realize you were asleep in the first place. Now, the section of text that we are going to look over this morning is very much like that. And there's this theme throughout Scripture that those who are disobedient toward God and living life for just themselves, who are focused on the world and their part in it, are like us when we are asleep and don't even know it. And one day, the Bible says that we will all awaken to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this life will seem like a vapor, a breath, a soap bubble that pops. And so Paul, here in this letter to the church at Ephesus, joins the many voices of Scripture, from Isaiah to the psalmist to Daniel to Jesus himself, where he uses, um, and what he uses to wake them up is a war cry. A battle cry that is calling all of us saints to wake up to the fact that we are at war and to live our lives with that mindset. And he gives us the war cry of God. Now, there are many types of war cries. Hopefully I don't butcher these, but the Marines say, Ura! The Army says, Hoorah! The Navy says, Hoo-ya! I know, they're all very original. Now, the paratroopers, I like theirs, they yell, Geronimo! When they leap from the aircraft, right? So, <clears throat> parents, you may want to cover your ears. Kids, I'm going to give you two seconds. Only two seconds, because I want to hear your loudest war cry. 
Okay, I'm going to count down, and when I say go, you're going to give your war cry, and then I'm going to cut you off. Okay, three, two, one, go! Yeah, that's pretty good. That's good. All right. <laughs> okay, now we got your, your war cry out of the way. Let's hear Paul's. Let's read from our text today. We're going to have a little overlap from last week. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now let's refresh the context here from what we learned last week. So first we see, as Christians, we fight the darkness and walk in the light. That's the first point. We fight the darkness and walk in the light. So there are those that, who walk in blatant disobedience to the will of God. And the Bible tells us um, of those who suppress the truth of God and exchange it for a lie. And basically, there are people walking around the world that live in a make-believe world where they are the most important part of the universe. That they are God because they're the ones who get to decide what is good and what's evil. Remember that this is what Eve did in the garden. Recall what God said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? Was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil good or bad? Bad. You might be thinking, what? It's okay, we're going to keep going. You can ask me later. Okay, did he say to eat of it or not to eat of it? Not to eat of it because it's bad. It was evil. He, cre- he had created all the other trees and said, these are good, eat them. But this one, this one's bad, don't eat it. So, what did Eve do? Well, let's look at Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, oh, it looks good, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Do you see what happened there? She decided for herself what was good and what was evil. This is the original sin of humanity. See, God is good. He is the one who decides what is good and what is evil. And if we actually trusted him and we're obedient to his rule in our life, we would do what he wills. But we rebel and take his position as God and determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. 
This is why the, the prophet says, whoa. When in verse uh, Isaiah 5.20, it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So what does God call us to do? Well, first he calls us to trust that what he calls is what he calls good is good. And what he calls evil is evil. And to learn that through his inspired word. And then as we learn his will, we obey it. See, we don't, we don't even play around with evil. See, playing around with evil is like jumping over a campfire, hoping that you aren't going to get burned. So you might get away with it for a little bit if you got the skills, but eventually you're going to tire out and you are going to get burned and it's going to be bad. But then God calls us to rebuke this evil, to expose it. And to do this, we don't have to go around condemning non-believers. No, they're already condemned. So remember what Jesus said in John three sixteen through 21 from our reading this morning that Paul did. Those who don't believe are already condemned because the light of Jesus has come, and they love the darkness rather than the light. So we don't need to go around berating non-believers. We expect that they are not going to follow God's will. Our job is then to rebuke those who call themselves Christians and yet do not obey Christ. See, these are the people Paul was talking about in verse 6, those who deceive with empty words. They proclaim to follow Christ and love Christ, but they do not obey him. So what, is, what did Christ say about this? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we love Christ, we will obey his commands. When we don't obey him, hopefully then we receive conviction from the Spirit and from the community of the Spirit. And then we are to confess and repent that we do obey. So if you're listening here and thinking, man, I just, I just don't desire to obey. I don't desire to obey God. And I haven't, I would ask, I'd ask that you pose this to yourself. Have I truly given my life, my allegiance, my full trust to Jesus Christ as both Savior and King? And if not, today is for the day for you to declare and to start walking in that. Hans and I will be in the back if you want to talk more about what it means to follow Christ. So Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. And that's us. He paid for our sins on the cross by dying a death that he did not deserve. <clears throat> in three days he resurrected proving his victory over death and sin. And then he ascended into heaven, where he is now enthroned as the inaugurated king over his kingdom, the church. So he is the Lord of lords, and he is deserving of that. 
role. And then he poured out his spirit into the church, into each of us, so that we might walk in obedience to him. And so each and every day, we have to fight to follow his will. See, we fight the darkness by walking in the light and walking in his will. But this is sometimes really hard to do. And so we need the renewal of the Holy Spirit to empower us. But we also must also wake up to the fact that we are at war against our own flesh that used to be a part of the kingdom of darkness. So this is my next point. We must wake up to the fact that we are at war. We must wake up to the fact that we are at war. Just as the examples that I gave for falling asleep and then waking up, not knowing that you were asleep, the Bible paints a picture of many Christians who are living lives just going through the motions, hoping for heaven, but not realizing that they are missing the battle in the here and now. And there is a reason that God is referred to throughout the Old Testament as the Lord of hosts. This is an old school um, saying of uh, armies, so hosts, armies. And God is the commander of the armies of heaven. So remember in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, when Peter pulled out his sword, cut off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. Jesus told him to put away his sword, and he said in Matthew 26, 53, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, Peter, I could win this battle in a heartbeat if I wanted. I have the full army of heaven at my disposal, but this is not the time. So Jesus came to claim victory, to rescue us from our rebellion against him, to break down the wall of separation that we built. And this has now escalated this war. And we'll see the ending of this war with the second coming of Christ. Let's take a look, a snapshot of this return in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in the robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here we see Jesus, the conquering king, come down from heaven, leading the armies of heaven to end the war. And where Jesus will fully, this is where Jesus will fully establish his kingdom. Now just because we read that that victory is won, doesn't allow for us just to fall asleep. Just because he said it's finished 
doesn't mean we get to do nothing and just take a nap. So what does Paul say back in Ephesians 5.14? It says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, he calls the saint to wake up, to wake up, to rise out of our sleep, out of our lives that operate as though we are still in the kingdom of darkness and death. See, Christ has given us new life to wage the good warfare. And this is exactly what Paul told Timothy to do, to wage the good warfare, to fight the good fight. And this was not just a word for Timothy, but it was for the whole church that Timothy was pastoring and leading in Ephesus. And it's for us today. So if we do this, if we wake up and realize we are at war with the enemy of God, the kingdom of darkness, then Christ will shine upon us. He will reflect his light through us and from us into the world. This is a command of God's people throughout all Scripture. Let me show you an example. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and the thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. See, we are to draw the world by shining as the light of Christ, which is our walking and our is, is walking in our calling to be the church. So we are to be a light that draws unbelievers to Christ. This is the corporate commission to God's people, and it is connected to Christ telling us to be a city shining on a hill drawing the world of non-believers, enslaved in darkness, towards us, towards Christ. But it seems easy to forget that this battle is going on. So let me ask you something. Something that I want you to ask yourselves and think about this week. How can we, we remind ourselves every day that we are at war with the kingdom of darkness? How can we remind ourselves every day that we are at war with the kingdom of darkness. See, the mundane of life can lead us to forget that this war is going on. So may the Lord help us to see how the darkness is leading people away from Christ, toward their own selfishness, toward their own destruction. May he help us to reach out, even in the mundane things, to shine his light. So I encourage you, to look at every little thing you do or opportunity that you have and think, how can this be used to shine more of Jesus? You know, it can be from showing kindness to people in, the, in basic interactions, like ordering coffee. Sometimes we can become jerks to people and we lose any form of witness just based on that. Maybe it's what you discuss with your coworkers at work. Or maybe it's 
even how you handle the not-so-mundane things like conflict. To do this, it takes reflection of who you are in Christ, who you think God is, and what your relationship with Him looks like. See, we're all to spend quality time with the Lord, and healthy relationships are two-way. And the thing is, the Lord, He is faithful on His part of the relationship. See, He he has stated His love for you. He continues to state His love for you. And He is communicating through His Word and through His Spirit with you. So, do we recognize His faithfulness to us? And do we engage in relationship by simple things of reading the Word, being in prayer, responding in obedience to what He convicts us of. I'm not posing these questions because they're my suggestions to you. It is a command of God's Word to do these things. Which brings me to my third point. Our commanding officer has called us to examine our time. Our commanding officer has called us to examine our time. God speaks through the Apostle Paul to commission us, to give us our commands as soldiers, fighting in the midst of the battle. So, the first thing I must ask you is, do you, do you consider yourself a warrior for Christ? Raise your hand if you are part of the army of Christ. I'm glad you recognize that we are Christ's soldiers, and we are to wage war under His commands. Now, how do we wage war? With, what are our weapons? Like, He didn't just start passing out machine guns. That's not what He's talking about. Well, let me give you a preview in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Turn there to Ephesians 6.10. says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, I'm not going to spend much time here, but realize that the weapon, weapons Paul refers to are founded in the Lord's strength. They're founded in his strength. Now, and these weapons consist of truth, Righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. All of these have been given to you. 
all of them. You all have access to these. Now, they're not conventional weapons that the world thinks of as effective for warfare. In fact, the world would think that these are worthless. Yet, consider with me the effect that Jesus has had over the centuries by equipping his followers with these weapons. There has been a countless number of souls saved from destruction and brought into God's kingdom. There has been countless acts of genuine love and compassion to battle the darkness in this world. There have been persecutions of the church and martyrs for Christ's sake, which did not shrink the church. It only fueled its growth. See, the church has been in the fight by God's leading and strength. My question to you is, where are you at in this fight? Where are you at in this fight? This is a question that we must all ponder. Paul gives us some insight on how not only to process this question, but how to follow through it. So back in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through, 9, uh, through 17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, to wage war, Paul gives us one command that has three contrasts to follow it and help us understand how to fill, fulfill this, this command. So, the command we see in this verse is to examine our time and make sure that we are using it for redemptive purposes. Let me repeat that. The command is that we examine our time and make sure that we are using it for redemptive pur- purposes. So here are the three checks, the contrasts that I was talking about to do this. So ask, is it wise or unwise? Is it wise or unwise? Is it good or is it evil? Is it good or is it evil? Is it foolishness or God's will? Is it foolishness or God's will? Remember to keep in mind how this applies to redeem the time in your life. Now, I'm not just talking about reading your Bible more or praying more. Those are good and play into this. But beyond that, it's also being a light to others, reaching out to others in the darkness to show and speak and stand firm for Jesus Christ. So let's say you have a, a coworker that's having a rough day. Show them a listening ear, leading them towards encouragement to press on, and maybe the gospel, if they will hear it. When you see conflict and you have opportunity to step into it, be a minister of reconciliation. Walk in what is wise and good and, and God's will in each of these situations. Now, these could be a small seed that does lead to the acceptance of the gospel in someone's life. Now, sharing the gospel isn't about just getting up on your soapbox. 
like I am right now, and preaching it. It's a mix of letting people see it work out in your life and for them to hear the truth. Now, if the truth of the gospel isn't seen in your life by others, guess what they're going to call you? Hypocrite. And they'd be right to do so. But I would then offer to you to take the opportunity to show them repentance when you recognize the hypocrisy Repent back to Christ and what his will is. And then that will show them a portrayal of the gospel truth. See, the grace of Christ has given us the ability to change direction back toward Christ. Toward redeeming this time. So these are all just some samples of walking in what is wise, what is good, and what is God's will. And we need to be good stewards of the life that Christ has given us. And rather than letting life happen to us, we need to steward life. So this week, I want to challenge you to sit down for 30 minutes. 30 minutes, at least 30 minutes. And I want you to honestly ask the Lord to impress upon you what is his will <clears throat> when it comes to your time, your talents, your treasure, and your relationships. So what, what's your plan of attack against the kingdom of darkness in your time, talents, treasure, and relationships? And as you're thinking through these, this question, if you find that conviction comes, I want to challenge you to put together a plan on how to bring that part of your life into obedience under Christ. But if, you've, if you walk away from that time feeling encouraged that God has given you growth in these areas, I want you to celebrate Christ's work in your life. Rejoice in your obedience because God does. He rejoices in your obedience to him. So let's call good, good, and evil, evil. Let's call obedience good and disobedience evil. Let's join Christ in what he commands and wage war against the kingdom of darkness. I have one more picture to paint for you. It's in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story of Jericho? Kids, do you, do you remember the story of Jericho? Okay, I'm not going to sing the song. Brian could, but I'm not going to sing the song. <clears throat> Let me paraphrase what happens at the end of Joshua 5 and into Joshua 6. So you have this, the commander of the army of the Lord, and he appears to Joshua. And they have this conversation about who is on whose side. So really, it's that the commander of the Lord's army is for the Lord. And that Joshua should be too. And then this commander instructs Joshua with this crazy plan to attack the great walled city of Jericho. And so he instructs them that the men of, the, of war are to march around the city once per day for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. So after they are done marching, they are to blow their trumpets and have everyone shout with a great shout. 
much like our kids did earlier this morning. And after they did these things, they obeyed. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Notice that they didn't use their conventional weapons to win this battle. They obeyed the Lord in faith. They gave their war cry, and the city walls fell down. Fellow soldiers in the faith, we must wage war exactly as the Lord calls us to, so that we can see victory over what may seem as the impossible. To do it in our own way is to choose to be God ourselves, not to obey God. So let's follow God's war cry into battle, fighting each and every day against disobedience and the kingdom of darkness by walking in the light. Can I get a war cry of amen from you? Amen. Amen.